Hey, Bearcats. Read a book. I love this Chi Alpha. Uh, I love your leadership. You know, um, I don't even know. Even today, I was thinking back, and I don't even remember how I got connected to this Chi Alpha. Um, but it has been, you know, Jason said nice things, um, and I, I trust that he actually meant them. Um, I think I have actually received more by being here than I have ever given. Uh, I love being with you. I love your heart, your passion for Jesus. I just hope it continues to grow. Yeah. You know, I, at some point, you know, I looked a few years ago when I was here, I was like looking around the room and I asked a question and I realized that like the youngest people, the youngest students were like the age of my youngest child. Yeah. And... At that moment, rather than like being weirded out about it or anything, I just embrace that my role here is to be a spiritual father. And to speak to you the way I would want someone speaking into the life of my children. Out of great love and respect and wanting to see God use you in a way that just absolutely rocks the nations and rocks your own life. Like to believe God can do something through you that you would have never imagined. I I don't know the context that you come from, but I can guarantee you there's not a person in this room that's less likely to be standing up here than me. I graduated from high school and I'd never read a book from cover to cover. Yeah. You know. And, well, this is Sam Houston, so maybe you can understand. <laughs> but, uh, sorry, I couldn't get, I couldn't pass that. Uh, 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 all right, yeah. So I feel at home. However, let me say this. That may be where you start, but that shouldn't be where you end. Because when God saved my soul, he also saved my mind. And I actually felt like when I came to Christ, I felt like God poured gasoline on my brain and ignited it. And I wanted to learn everything. You know, I wanted to learn. I mean, because all truth is God's truth. That's right. And I mean, I wanted to learn about science. I wanted to learn about, I mean, I wanted to learn about everything. And of course, most of all, I wanted to learn about Jesus. Yeah. I wanted to learn what, it, what does it really look like to follow Christ? And that's been my journey since I was 22. So that's 36 years now. Been walking on that path. In uh, next month, I will have been married for 32 years. So not this past Christmas, because, you know, this past Christmas was weird. We'll just kind of skip that one. But the one before that, um, it was Christmas Eve, and my lovely wife, Amy, just, we're sitting in the kitchen, and she looks at me. We live really close to Sam's Club right now, which is really weird. I mean, I lived for 25 years in the 
middle of the Middle East, and now I'm living next to a Sam's Club. I almost feel like I backslid. Yeah, but um, she looks at me and she goes, hey, you wanna go over to Sam's Club, walk around and hold my hand? Yes. <laughs> I was like, heck yeah. Baby, I'll do anything you want. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, so, you know, I've been, I've been blessed to walk with her for now 32 years. Um, 30 of that. So this month, November of 1991 was when we became missionaries for the Assemblies of God. So 30 years now we've been missionaries. I can't think of one sacrifice I have ever made for Jesus. I mean, let's face it, folks. It's a little bit ridiculous for me to talk about sacrifice when I think about what Jesus has done for me. Amen. So when I compare what Christ has done for me to what I have done for him, let's just say the scales are out of balance. Yeah. And it's that that reminds me every day, keeps me focused in the right direction, just loving Jesus. August the 7th of this year, I was uh, down in Orlando, Florida. I had been at a big event and the event had ended the night before and I was getting ready to go out that morning and speak to a bunch of missionaries from the Arab world who were gathered together for a meeting. They'd asked me to come back as their previous area director and speak to them. And I was looking forward to that. I was leaving the hotel, had my bag, you know, dragging it, you know, wheeling it across the lobby of the hotel. And I had called an Uber. You know, and they send you these text messages to tell you, you know, your Uber's on the way and everything. And I swear, I have it on my phone. You can see it if you want to. So I'm not making this up. Um, I, I get this text message and I actually screenshotted it because it was so funny. It said, Jesus is arriving in six minutes. <laughs> now, of course, it was Jesus. But. It was so much better to read it. Jesus was arriving in six minutes. Now, I have to be honest and say I was disappointed a couple of minutes later when they, this, an email, a text came in telling, telling me he was going to be driving a silver Camry. You know, I was expecting more from Jesus, you know, like a white horse or something, you know, like a white charger. Uh, you know, uh, it was... Uh, Here's the weird part. So Jesus had 4.98 stars. So somebody, it was like one of my friends, I showed the text to and he goes, what happened to the .02? I'm like, Judas. Haven't you read your Bible? So here's the question. I, I love having fun, love laughing, but here's the question. That text came into my phone and just for after I kind of chuckled and thought it was funny and screenshotted it, I thought to myself, what would I actually do if Jesus was arriving in six minutes? You want to know something that was beautiful? I said, you know, there's not anything in my heart that I need to repent over. 
All I would want to do if I knew Jesus was showing up in six minutes was just, I want to warm up in worship. So that the transition from this to that was seamless. Amen. Now, worship is more than the words and the music that we sang tonight. That's certainly part of it. But Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, just says that we're supposed to Offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, for this is our act of spiritual worship. So living a life wholly consecrated to Jesus and his glory is the ultimate expression of worship. I hope I have tried to do that for the last 36 years. I have absolutely done it imperfectly. (laughs) I have done it imperfectly today. I'm so dependent upon the grace of Jesus. I didn't need Jesus' grace when I came into the kingdom and then now walk in my own strength. I'm dependent on his grace every day. That's right. And I need it every day to keep me close to him. And thankfully, he does. So over the last several years as I've served as a missionary, And then as a missionary leader, I've had to wrestle with my own motivations. Not not in the sense of good motivations versus bad motivations, but more about sustainable motivations versus non-sustainable motivations. So tonight, I want to take maybe the next 25 minutes and I want to talk to you about motivations for missions. Now, that, maybe that sounds dry and dull to you. You know, I hope it won't be. Um, but, you know, because of the last few years, what's been happening and, you know, the stuff that the school, your Chi Alpha was doing and then COVID and all that, it's been a few years since you guys have made any, like, overseas missions trips. So I'm just going to be honest up front. I, I, I hate it when somebody, like, starts you know, telling me about, hey, you want to come join something? You want to do something? Then I find out they're an Amway salesman. You know, I, I'm not going to do that to you tonight. So I'm just going to tell you right up front what my motivations are. I believe every single person in this room, if they are a Christ follower, has a role to play in missions. I, so, and if you aren't a Christ follower yet, tonight is the night to become that. Because the truth is, is if you've been hanging out with this group for the last several months, you've probably already dealt with the intellectual reason reason issues. What's holding you back isn't your mind, it's your will. You're wrestling tonight with lordship issues. Who Who is Jesus and who is going to sit on the throne of my life? Am I going to make the decisions for my life or am I actually going to surrender them to let God make the decisions for my life? And so tonight, I'm going to encourage you for the easiest surrender of your life. When I say easy, not easy in the sense that it won't cost you anything, but easy in the sense that you can trust the one to whom you surrender. 
So tonight, I just want to unpack these motivations really quick. First of all, I want to talk about obedience. Obedience is certainly an, it's a reason for, it's a motivation for missions. Matthew chapter 28 contains one of the passages that we refer to as the Great Commission. Each one of the Gospels has one of these, um, at least one. The entire New Testament could be categorized as a missions book, but we like to look for like little passages that we can, you know, they kind of become like a handle that we can hold on to. And Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, 19, and 20 kind of are, is one of those passages. And in it, Jesus starts by telling his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples. Now, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't just tell them go make disciples. He, he starts with the preamble, with the presupposition that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So, like, I could stand up here tonight. I could tell you God loves you and I have a great plan for your life. And it would be absolutely irrelevant. Because I don't have any authority over your life, nor should I. I mean, I got four kids that don't listen to me. I got a dog that doesn't listen to me. You know, nobody needs to listen to me. But all authority has not been given to me in heaven and on earth. I didn't rise from the dead under my own power. When someone comes out of the grave under their own power, they actually have the right to tell us what we do with our lives. We have this mistaken idea that we can talk about Jesus as Lord. We can sing songs about Jesus as Lord and then still tell him no. You've heard me say it before. Some of you who've heard me speak, I just love this thing, so I can't help but repeat it over and over again. A.W. Tozer, I know you guys know who Tozer, you know. You know, one of my favorite quotes of his is, Jesus, Christians don't tell lies, they go to church and sing them. We sing Jesus is Lord and then think we can rule our own lives. So Jesus says, all authority... Heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, do what I say. And his command is go make disciples. That's the central imperative of that verse. There's like four verbs in that verse, but the central imperative, meaning the one of primary importance, is the make disciple piece. But then he says, basically, as you are making disciples, go. So it's not enough to simply make disciples here. We need to be making disciples everywhere. And as Paul will go on in the Romans chapter 15, verse 20, he talks about the fact that it's always been his motivation to go and preach where Christ was not known. 
And so today we need to be giving priority in our missions endeavors as we think about the world that we need to be going places where the gospel isn't yet. So one of the motivations for missions is obedience. Jesus said, do it. We should say yes. There's only one problem. Well, maybe there's two problems. I have a problem with saying yes all the time when I'm supposed to. So there's that sin issue. But more importantly, usually I come down on the right side of the sin issue. You know, I may struggle a bit, but ultimately, I come down where I I say, yes, Jesus. There's a problem with obedience, though. Obedience is law-based rather than grace-based. And anything that is law-based eventually erodes joy. So I lived in the Muslim world for 25 years. Let me just say it in this nice a way as I know. They don't need joyless Christianity. They already have joylessness. Your campus doesn't need joyless Christianity. Person living across the hall from you doesn't need joyless Christianity. As a matter of fact, I think the most powerful apologetic on the planet in this society in this day is to be both happy and holy. If we can get that down, if we can be both happy and holy, you wouldn't be able to stop. This room would be packed out. I mean, like the world loves, wants to be happy. They're just looking for it in the wrong place. I mean, bars in this city tonight are full of people who are trying to be happy. The problem is tomorrow they won't be happy. So I'm not talking about a happiness that's just based on like all my problems not going away or, you know, temporary. I'm talking about a happiness that is deeply rooted in the fact that I am right with God and God is for me. When I understand that God is for me, I'm like, I'm for my children. I want to see them succeed. But like, I have a limit to what I can do for them. God doesn't. I mean, how, I mean, like the, how shall he who spared not his own son give us all things in Christ Jesus? So to be happy, but also to be holy. You know, like living right with purpose. Not holy as in holier than thou, but holy as in holy committed to the God of the universe and his purposes that then gives me purpose. You get those two down, happy and holy, man, you will be the most magnetic person on the planet. Problem, as I said, with obedience is it's good, but it's not enough. So number two, I'm going to talk really briefly about three loves. Love of self, love of God, love for the lost. 
So let's, let's first deal with that first one, love of self. There's a proper form of a love of self. I mean, Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can't really love someone else if you don't have a proper sense of love for yourself. The problem is we live in a society that doesn't love itself. It's infatuated with itself. You know, it idolizes itself. It worships itself. I, I won't ask who by chance has taken a selfie during tonight's time of gathering. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And I don't want to embarrass anybody either. We are a self-absorbed society. We have placed ourselves on the throne of God. There's only room on our hearts, in the thrones of our hearts, there's only room for one Lord. And everything about our society tells us that we're supposed to sit there. That's how we love ourselves. I don't have to tell you that that's not appropriate. You get that. So I'm just going to go ahead and move on. So then there's love for God. Certainly love for God is a motivation. I can love God and never leave America. I can love God and never leave Texas. And if you're a Texan, you go, yeah, of course I can. Why would I want to leave Texas? You know, it's the greatest country in the world. Yeah, I know how to suck up to an audience. You don't have to leave family and friends or anything to, to love God. You can love God right here. The problem is peoples and places that have yet to hear about Jesus are not going to love God if that's your only motivation. Then there's love for the lost. How many of you think we're supposed to love the lost? Yeah, I mean, like, you're going to lose your Chi Alpha badge if you say anything other. I mean, you know, you're gonna have, we're going to open the doors and have, like, a walk of shame that you have to leave the room. You know, of course you're supposed to love the lost. I mean, if anybody gets it, it's you guys. I mean, I hear stories, like, I have, I served as the area director for people who were, like, who came to this Chi Alpha as, like, adamant atheist. And I served as their area director as they were serving as missionaries. Like, because somebody loved a knucklehead like Cody Miller. You know. I mean, Cody, I, I, maybe I shouldn't tell this story. You know, yeah, you know. You know, Cody tells the story. Now, this is before Kelly. So let's, you know. Kelly, if you are listening, turn, the t turn it off right now. Um, I mean, Cody gets invited to go to LTC, which, do you still do LTC? Or? Okay, all right. So Cody has come, finally come to faith in Christ because somebody has been, found the lost sheep, fought for the lost sheep, and now they're feeding the lost sheep, you know. And so they're like, they have pursued this guy, and he's finally surrendered his life to Christ, 
And then they tell him, you know, I think you should come to LTC. And Cody says, like, I'm thinking, like, two weeks ago, I was sleeping with my girlfriend. I'm not sure I really belong at LTC. Somebody saw something in Cody. I'm so glad that God doesn't look at us for what we are. He looks at us for what we can become. God's at work in every single one of our lives. And when we look at the lost, we don't just see the lost. We, we see, I mean, we see the future potential in them. We see their families that don't even exist yet. We see their families transformed for Jesus with generational legacy of Christ following. When we're sitting across the table sharing Jesus with an absolute pagan. Here's the only problem. Lost people act like lost people. And sometimes lost people aren't real lovable. And then go live in a country where everybody's lost. Then they really, really act like lost people. And that's when your desire to maintain your rights rise up in your life. I don't have to take this. This is humiliating. Why should I have to endure this? Why should I have to learn this language? I mean, this is hard. Like, it, language isn't, like, learning a language is not humbling. Learning a language is humiliating. How many of you have ever learned a foreign language as an adult? A, a few people in the room. I am convinced Arabic is going to be the language of heaven. Because it is going to take me all of eternity to learn it. One day I'm sitting on a plane flying into Middle Eastern city. And I'm really new. I'm just trying to learn Arabic. And... You know, one of the curses of learning a language, if you've learned another language, you get this, is that you, you, you can't be anything other than, like, direct. And, and that's a challenge when you're living in a non-direct society. You know, so you, most stuff is important. It's communicated this way. But all I know how to do with my limited language is, like, be a bulldozer. You know, straightforward. And, and, and I wouldn't even really use this kind of verbiage if I was sharing Christ in my own context, but I've got so little language skill at the time. So I'm, I'm sitting next to the guy on the plane, and I'm trying to tell him that he needs to invite Jesus into his heart. Like I said, not really the approach I would take if I were sharing Christ with someone in my own co context, but to what I had. And, you know, my bad evangelism is better than no evangelism. You know... So I'm talking to this guy, and I tell him he needs to invite Jesus into his heart. The only problem is what I actually said is you need to invite Jesus into your dog. 
because the Arabic word for heart is qalb and the Arabic word for dog is kalb. Now that's clear, isn't it? Yeah. And, and this amazingly generous, gracious man who spoke English better than I would ever probably speak Arabic looks at me and says, I don't speak a lot of, he goes, I don't know a lot about Christian theology, but I do know you don't mean that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I'm like, and then he tells me what I've said and I just like shrink inside. I'm like, this is humiliating. God, why do I have to endure this humiliation? Because my Jesus was stripped naked and hung on a cross. In humility, see, a humble man can never be humiliated. The reason I was feeling humiliated was because I was proud. I was worried about what this reflected on me. I wasn't even worrying about how this reflected on Jesus. I'd made myself the center of the gospel story instead of Jesus. So love for the lost is a great motivation for missions. The problem is... Because the lost aren't always lovable, our love may wane because we're broken sinners. The next one is need. I mean, how many of you have ever heard the term 1040 window? If you have, raise your hand for me, just so. All right, so probably at least half or more people in the room. It's this block of geography on the planet that goes from the, east, from the west coast of Africa, over where Morocco and Mauritania are, 10 degrees north of the equator to 40 degrees north of the equator, from that coast of Africa to the eastern coast of Indonesia. It's about 10% of the world's landmass. Inside of that window, 90% of the world's unreached peoples live. So that means not just lost people. I mean, Jesus loves lost people, whether they're in, you know, Texas or Tangiers. He loves them equally. It's not an issue of love, it's an issue of access. I mean, when you leave this campus and you drive to wherever home is for you, I would even encourage you at some point to count the number of churches you pass. Now, am I, dis am, am I upset about that? Absolutely not. I wish there were more. But there are peoples and places today where there's zero access to the gospel. Inside of that window, 90% of the world's unreached peoples live and 2% of missionaries go there. I mean, it's like we're driving drunk. 
Like, we can't keep it in the lanes. I mean, Jesus is calling, and I'm afraid we're not responding. Why do I know Jesus is calling? Because the Bible tells me that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All means all. All means the Buddhist world. All means the Muslim world. All means the Hindu world. It doesn't mean go into all the world and preach the gospel to all those who will easily accept. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to those who are glad you're there. Folks, all of the easy places are taken. God is wanting to raise up an army of men and women who will suffer with a smile on their face because Jesus is in their heart. There is amazing need. The problem with need is that it can be overwhelming. I mean, I lived in Amman, Jordan for over 20 years. When I walked out of my door in the morning, there wasn't one single believer that I knew of that lived in a mile circumference of my house. Not one. I mean, you're talking about need. You know, like today I was talking to some of the interns and they were like, how do I talk to somebody who like says they're a Christian? They're not really sure if they're a Christian. That's a good question. Like I'm walking out of my door and I promise you nobody a Christian. I mean, you're talking about that kind of need will overwhelm you. Like it didn't leave the 99 to go look for the one. It's like leave the one to go look for the 99. I mean, like that kind of need is so overwhelming that if you're not careful, it will burn you out. Now, is need a valid issue? Absolutely. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 puts it this way. Everyone who believes in the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how do they believe in him in whom they have not heard? What Paul is saying is we need proclaimers. God wants everybody saved, but in order for that to happen, people have to preach, and that needs to be you. Now, preaching has nothing to do with just standing up here. Proclaiming has to do with just letting Jesus pour out of your mouth. Because he's the pearl of great price. You value him that much. So obedience is important. Love of the lost is important. Need is important. All of these things are good, but they're just not sufficient by themselves. But when we wrap them all up in the glory of God, then that's what will sustain us. So at the end of the day, that's what we live for. That's what motivates us. That's what sustains us on the mission field. That's why you can handle rejection 
from that person that you try to share Christ with because you understand you're not doing this for yourself. You're doing this that Jesus might be glorified. And Jesus is glorified in your obedience. And Jesus is glorified in your love for the lost. And Jesus is glorified when you act and you understand there's a need and you respond to that. Jesus is glorified. Leave the results to him. Because Jesus is glorified when we respond in obedience. I've had an amazing opportunity in my life. I've spent my adult life living in places where Jesus' message is not always readily received. And I've seen men and women come to faith in Jesus and then actually pay a deep price for their faith. And that has been so incredibly encouraging to me. I feel like I have learned way more from them than I have ever taught them. I mean, I have this friend. His name is, he's a pastor of an Iraqi church. A couple of years ago, he and I were at a big event, and even though I like to be up, you know, I, I enjoy talking to people like you, and I love doing the stuff that I do. At heart, I'm a bit of an introvert, and he is too. And so when we go to these big meetings, we tend to find each other and then go find a corner. <laughs> and so, like, we were sitting on the floor talking, and we had a good conversation. At the end of the conversation, we were getting up, and he was struggling to get up off the ground and he's my age so he's really young and um you know and and I was like you okay and he's like yeah I'm good and I was like no really what's going on he goes "Eh, it's nothing and I'm like I'm pushing him because he's my friend so I'm pushing him like what's going on he goes you know I my body has just never been the same since I was in prison when's the last time you heard that He's in prison for pastoring an underground church in Baghdad. You know, one day I was translating for him, and he said, <laughs> I'm sorry, this is going to sound, but you know, we're, we're sitting there talking, and he goes, Brother Mark, how do I say they put electricity on my body? I'm like, I think you said it well. What sustains someone like Pastor Jewel? A person who every member of his extended family lives in America. He could be here in a second. He stays in Baghdad and pastors a church for the glory of God. My friend leads a church planting movement now in a Middle Eastern context. A few years ago, we had a this missionary gathering, and he was talking with us and pulled out this little notebook and showed it to us and said, you know, thumb through it, and this little cheap notebook had 261 names in it. 
and it was like three columns, names, place, names, date, place. And we're like, what is this? And he goes, well, the name is the person who is in our, that has come to faith in Christ. The date's the date they were baptized. They don't even count somebody if they haven't been baptized. And then, and, and some people argue in the Muslim world whether you should get baptized immediately or if you should wait. His response is, you never start a life of obedience with disobedience. So if you haven't been baptized and you're a Christ follower next week, so, and then the last column is where they're in a small group meeting. Because in this particular context, there are no above-ground churches that these people can worship in. 261 names. That was amazing for me. I mean, that was 20 years worth of hard ministry. I thought, man, I mean, Bible talks about the Lamb's Book of Life. I felt like this is it. This is as close as I'm ever going to get to it. Here's the amazing thing. So at the... In that meeting, he says, I, I, we've been praying, and we thank God by this time next year. So it was November. He was saying through the next year. This was about six years ago. He said, by the end of next year, we think God wants us to have 500 names in the book. So they're going to grow from 261 to 500, 239 new believers in one year. Yeah, I mean, like, but it took 20 years to get to 261. About June of the following year, God calls a friend of mine who's kind of the one missionary walking beside this group, and he says to him, he goes, hey, I got a problem. I need to talk to you. They get together, and he goes, you know that number we were talking about? He goes, yeah. He goes, I, we got a problem with the number. And my friend, who's an amazing, faith-filled missionary, says to him, look, don't worry about it. It's better to, like, dream big and not hit the number than like dream small and do nothing for God. And he said, looked at him like, I'm not sure you're a Christian. <laughs> like that's not the problem. The problem is, is that we're already over a thousand. <laughs> now here's the, here's the issue. When they set a goal, they realized they weren't gonna get to 500 unless they were proclaiming. And they live in a context where proclamation brings persecution. Man, I'm not, I'm not kidding. If it had a pulse, they would talk to it about Jesus. Now, I'm not necessarily encouraging this, but like they'd ride down the road and every time they would see an email address or a cell phone number, you could tell which they would like record them. They were spamming people with gospel content. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, yeah. In six months, they'd grown to over a thousand. I don't know how many people are in that people movement today. I do know this, as of August, 370,000 Muslim background believers have completed a nine-book discipleship series in community. Yeah, you can clap on that. 
and they've had 43 martyrs. What sustains people like that? It's not need. It's not love for the lost. It's not obedience. It's the glory of God. Because when you put God's glory on a scale, nothing else moves it. So tonight, I'm going to ask you a really simple question. For whose glory are you living? The word glory has to do with weight. So the easier way of asking that question is what moves your scale? Ambition? I certainly understand that. Wealth, achievement, education, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. They make great servants. They make terrible masters. Jesus is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. As a matter of fact, he's worthy of the worship of the world. But missions exist because worship doesn't in a lot of places amongst a lot of people. Here's what I want you to do. So tonight, when we talk about need, talked about the 1040 window. For just a couple of minutes, I want to share one additional thing with you. So in our world today, there's about 14,000 people groups. That's a unique ethno-linguistic categorization of people. Of those 14,000, 6,800 are what we call unreached. That means that there's not enough believers in that people group, in that culture, speaking that language to actually evangelize their own people. So that means that someone has to come from outside to bring the gospel message. They have to leave the comfort of their home. They have to leave the comfort of their culture. They have to learn to eat different food. They have to learn to speak another language so that gospel seeds can grow up in indigenous soils. Because that's the missionary task. 6,800 people groups remain unreached. That's 3.8 billion people. Now, that number is overwhelming. It is.
So let's focus on one. There's a people group in the northern part of Iraq called the Yazidis. Yazidis are an interesting people because even though they're in a Muslim context, they're not actually Muslims. This sounds really weird, but they're actually Satan worshipers. Now, they don't think Satan is good and worthy of worship. They actually fear Satan. They're dualists. They believe God is good. Satan is bad. But they believe that God is good but remote. He won't do anything for us. Satan is bad and he is close by. He will hurt us. So they worship Satan in order to pacify him. The Yazidis are surrounded by the Kurds of northern Iraq who are Sunni and are an unreached people group. And the Kurds are surrounded by the Shia majority of greater Iraq who are an unreached people group. And the Shia of Iraq are surrounded by the Sunnis of the greater Arab world who, guess what? are also an unreached people group. So if you're going to go and work amongst the Yazidis, you, you have to learn the Yazidi language, and because you have to live in Kurdistan, you have to learn the Kurdish language, and because you're going to live in greater Iraq, you actually have to learn Arabic. That's hard work. You want your life to count? Take on something like that. Now, maybe God isn't calling you to go. But there's a handful of people in this room that actually have an affinity for language. You have an interest in foreign language. You have an interest in watching documentaries about other people groups. You like foreign food. Taco Bell, not foreign food. Who knows that God might have put those things in you as breadcrumbs to lead you to a life of missional engagement amongst the unreached? See, God was at work in your life long before you even acknowledged that he was around. God has one desire for your life and one desire for mine, and that is that he would be glorified in it. So tonight, as we think about the Yazidis, I'm going to ask that they would be representative of the unreached peoples of the world. And I'm going to ask you what your role might be in that. Now, I'm not asking you tonight to make a decision to go and serve for the rest of your life as a foreign missionary. That wouldn't actually be very fair of me. Here's what I am asking. I know God wants all of us engaged in missions. That's, you can't dispute that from scripture. So what is it God wants you to do 
next. Great obediences are accomplished through small obediences. So what God is asking you tonight is to just do the next right thing. So what is it God wants you to do? Maybe God wants you to reevaluate what you're going to give next week in your missions offering. Maybe God wants you to think about going on a missions trip. You know, maybe you're thinking, I'd like to go on a missions trip, but I hate the idea of raising money. It's so humiliating. We've already dealt with that issue. Certainly, God wants you praying for the lost. I'm actually going to pray tonight that for, I don't know, there's what, maybe 300 people in this room. I'm going to pray that 30 of you, over the next 10 days, will have the worst sleep of your entire life. Aren't I a kind person? Because I'm going to pray that God wakes you up in the middle of the night and he wrecks you for the Yazidi people. And you're not going to be able to go back to sleep until you take time and pray for them. And then at some point after you've prayed for them, you ask God, am I supposed to be the answer to my own prayers? So tonight, I'm not asking for any hands to be raised. I'm not, we're not going to have an altar call. We're just going to have a moment of silence. And I want you to just have a conversation with Jesus. I want you to ask the Lord, what am I supposed to do, Lord, with this? Here, I really believe God speaks to us. And if God asks you to do something big, I don't really, I mean, I've heard people go, how do I know that's not the devil? Really? <laughs> like the devil's going to tell you to do something big for God? <laughs> I'd rather fail doing big and live for my own pitiful glory. So tonight, if God speaks to, whatever God speaks to you, I'm going to ask you to do this one thing for me. It's really not for me, it's for you. You have these, you're, you're probably even sitting next to those people that are in your small group. Whatever the Lord puts in your heart, I'm going to ask that at some point in the next 24 hours, you share that with somebody in your small group. Because, see, that's important that we have somebody who holds us accountable. So that in a few days, somebody's going to talk to us and say, hey, what, what, what are you doing with that thing God told you? See, I really, I, maybe it doesn't sound like it. I hope it does. I really want what's best for you. I just believe that God honoring, glory-chasing obedience is actually what's best for you. So I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm just going to ask that we spend a couple of minutes 
listening to God, and I'm going to ask Jason to come up wherever he's at or whoever else is closing the meeting and, and close it. Is that okay? Father, I thank you for every woman and every man in this room. Father, I, I look around the world and there's like nine women serving as missionaries for every one male. I am blown away by that. I am blown away by the willingness and the, of women to sacrifice for the sake of Jesus' glory, for their willingness to say yes. And Lord, I have no reason to believe that in this room, the hearts of these women are anything less than that. They are set on you. And so tonight, I ask that you would give them the ability to hear from you and then just respond in obedience. And Lord, I pray for my brothers. Lord, may we step up. Lord, I am jealous for them. Lord, I want to see Jesus glorified amongst the men of Sam Houston State Chi Alpha. God glorifying, sin hating, suffering embracing servants of Jesus who will take the gospel to every unreached people group on the planet for your glory. So tonight, Lord, I'm asking that you would destroy every idol in their life. Lord, that they would set them on fire figuratively. And they would say, Lord, I am yours. And whatever the next step is that involves obedience, you give them the strength to say yes to that, talk to their brothers about it, and then move forward in obedience. And take the next couple of minutes, let you reflect, let you pray, let God speak to your heart, and then I'll let Jason close us out. Jesus, we say yes to you. Our Lord, our Master, our King, we say yes to you. For some of us that are struggling and don't even know how to say yes, we're trying to say yes, would you come and get us, Lord? Thank you that in this moment, you're drawing us to yourself. The living God, you've, you've stepped down for a moment and you're, you're sharing with us your very heart. We say yes to you, Jesus. Would you help us now to take the next step? Tonight, tomorrow, in the coming days, as you've spoken to us and continue to speak to us, as you give us prayers to pray, would we say yes to you 
and take the next step, step after step, after step Lord. Amen. Okay, take the next step. And remember the next 24 hours if you haven't done it like already. If you don't do it tonight, make sure. Whatever God speaks to you, let's make this a community thing. We need each other to live out what he's calling us to individually.